When I woke up this morning in New York State, my phone's weather app said that it was four degrees outside. Yep, four degrees. Not real inspiring riding weather, my friends. My life kind of feels like a case of the winter blues has collided with quarantine angst, and I am just dying for a change of scenery. You know what I mean? I'm sure there are a lot of us out there who are experiencing a severe case of wanderlust right now, and while I'd love to say that we can offer you a magical plane ticket to an exotic location, uh, we can't, <laughs> but we can give you some fun travel ideas to look forward to for the future. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Paulson, and in the following conversation, I am chatting with equestrian travel expert Stacy Adams of Active Riding Trips, the premier provider of equestrian vacations. Stacy shares her story, as well as some fun tales of her riding adventures, and uh, some really helpful tips as well for equestrian travel, or travel of any kind, really. So stay tuned for a little vacation for your mind, if you will. Oh, and I should add, while this podcast is about travel, please, please note that we encourage you to use your best judgment when it comes to planning future travel with health precautions in mind. So we are certainly very aware of the current pandemic, and we encourage you to travel only when you feel safe to do so. So stay safe, everyone, and join us in looking forward to the better days ahead. Oh, and while I've got you, um, I'm happy to announce we're entering a new era of the Dressage Today podcast, and I will soon be handing the reins over to our new hosts, Stephanie Ruff and Aviva Nabeski. So thanks for spending time with me over the past two seasons, and be sure to join them for future episodes. Okay, on to the conversation. Hey there, I'm Jennifer Malachi. I'm Lindsay Paulson. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage-related. Our conversations span the world of dressage, from leading riders to local-level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, horse care tips, and stories to inspire your own dressage journey. Tune in, then tack up. Hey, Stacy! thank you so much for joining me today. It's great, Lindsay. I'm so happy to be with you and hear you and just, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like with um, with all of this, oh, with all the strange world that we're living in these days, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have um, a big case of wanderlust going on, probably even more than they have before. Um, so I thought this interview would be kind of a fun way to, um, to oh, I don't know, what's the word? Like, give our listeners the chance to think about maybe some opportunities to look forward to in the future and, and um, live vicariously through some of your adventures. So um, just to get started, do you want to tell us about your equestrian background and kind of, um, you know, how you basically become an expert in equestrian travel? Sure, sure. Happy to do it. And to your point earlier, it's so funny, you know, and you have to laugh about 2020 because what else can you do? Like, I guess you could cry, but that doesn't really get you very far. Right. So we're calling 2020 the year of dreams. 
Mm -hmm. uh, because we're all just dreaming about the things that we should have been doing or we'd like to be doing or we hope to be doing. Mm -hmm. So, so um, and, and just rolling along. But, but to answer your question, uh, I have ridden my entire life. I mean, truly, since the age of four. And my parents were completely pragmatic folks who were great parents, but they never saw a horse as a great investment opportunity. <laughs> you know, um, oh, that I never took that that to heart as an adult. But um, but yeah, so I never had a horse. I mean, I just was allowed to to go and take riding lessons, and I could occasionally go to shows, but not that many because the shows always fell on Sundays, and we were at church on Sundays. Mm. So. You know, so, and, and my parents, I think, thought it'll be a passing fad, so they signed me up for tennis lessons and golf lessons and guitar lessons, which I do not play, and, I mean, every other little thing under the sun, and I was only allowed to ride once, maybe twice a week, um, so that it was, so that I was balanced, don't you know? Yeah. But uh, much to their, much to their, uh, all of their planning uh, was spoiled in the end anyway, because the moment that I was able to afford a horse, it, it was you know, that was the end of the story there. And um, I think I finally bought my first horse at the age of 27. And that was more than more than a few years ago now. So yeah, yeah, ever since. Um, so long, long story short, yeah, I've just always been riding to, to some degree. And in the last 27 years been riding a lot. I mean, you know, five or six days a week as, as schedule permits. And it, it's been an interesting journey and, and the journey to how to become a travel expert and, and equestrian travel expert is, is one of those kind of funny things. I had taken a year off of work back when I was 27 and had gone to work at a at a barn just for fun because I thought you know what I've never had a horse I'm gonna go and learn all about what it what's involved in keeping a horse on your property and and you know about the feeding and certainly I knew how to muck stalls I mean who doesn't right but you know just just the intricacies of it and so for a year I did that and it was great and super fun but that was, you know, back in the mid 90s, early 90s. And at that point, you had to have like your resume couldn't have any gaps in it. That was still such a huge issue. I and mean, you had to account for all your time. And so, you know, my resume then went on to say, you know, a year working at this at this barn in Vermont, of all places. And fast forward a few years from from that, maybe about six years down the road. Uh, a headhunter called me and said, it, it, "You, I see. I was working for a Fortune 200 company at the time. I was one of their sales trainers. You know, I traveled all up and down the Eastern Seaboard, working with their department, with their salespeople in all their different offices. And anyway, this headhunter calls me and he's like, "Hey, um, I have a travel company that's looking for a sales manager, and would you want to to come and interview with them? Mm. Um, I see that you have this." you know, I see that you, you have, you took a year off and, you know, and I was like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. You know, that was in, um, actually 2001 in the summer of 2001. And, and I thought, sure, whatever. I wasn't really looking for a job. I, I mean, I was happy in the job that I had, but you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And, and the irony of that situation was that the 
the headhunter was like, it, it's a travel company. They're looking for a sales manager. It's about 50% travel, which sounded great to me because I was at 100% travel. So, so and, and that was really all he said. And I show up for this interview in New York, uh, in New York State, and not in New York City. And it turns out that the company is an equestrian travel company. And the thing that had like tipped the scales was the fact that they knew I was an equestrian because I had taken this year off and I had familiarity with horses. Mm. You know, because back then, you know, it's different now. Resumes are totally different now. Back then, you could put your hobbies and stuff on, but really it was all about your professional experience. Like it had to be so buttoned up and so beautiful and, you know, you had to be like this shining star candidate and so forth. Now, resumes want to know a little more about the person behind them. But but anyway, so yeah, that's what tipped the scales. And I, I went to work for a small travel company. I, I mean, and when I say small, they were doing about, it's probably not that small, actually. <laughs> they were probably doing, uh, between, depends, depending on the year, between five and seven million dollars a year in business. And, you know, that's not chump change for a super small company. But, um, but yeah, and we, we actually decided not to work together at that point in time only because the the offers had been made and accepted and I was gearing up to to move and make this big shift and then 9-11 came along um, and so yeah I mean so that was like the first time that we saw everything just totally tank and a complete and utter tragedy so, you know, so it's really, so we just, and I, and I said to them, we just deferred it. And I said to them, look, I'm, you know, it's no big deal. I, I like what I do. I'm having a good time working at, at my existing job and, you know, we'll just stay in touch. And, and about every six months or four months, the, the owner would call me just to say, I just want to make sure you're still interested and, you know, really still interested. And so, yeah, we finally got together and collaborated professionally and, started working together in 2003. And that was really the beginning of, of the, the jump to, to travel, you know, because, because it, as anyone who works in sales knows, a widget is a widget is a widget. So whether you're, and I'm not, I am not at all belittling the trips that we have, but if you can sell office equipment, which is what the salespeople were doing that, that I had been training, you could sell you know, travel, you just have to understand what people are looking for and what the needs are and understand your product. You have to know your product really well. So it was, it was like just one of those nirvana moments where, you know, I, I quit my job and my parents had a coronary because they're like, but what about your retirement? And this is a tiny company and you were working for a big company and you could have had a pension and you could, and I'm like, listen, like this is like the dream of all dreams. Are you kidding? Like I get to go work at this company and travel and work with their salespeople and I mean and it's horses. Are you kidding me? Right. But you know, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of how it all started. And now flash forward, that was two thousand that started in two thousand one. We cl- we finally got together in two thousand three and it's been history ever since. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny how like 
I, I don't know, like I feel like life kind of sets you up for things in funny ways that you don't expect. And that something that happened, you know, five years ago that you didn't think that much about all of a sudden comes back to be super important and setting you up for something. Isn't it a riot like that? I mean, you know, it, it's often, so again, you probably gathered this from what I said earlier, but you know, my parents, we're, we're, we always were at church on Sundays and church is a big part of my life. And so we talk a lot about unanswered prayers, right? You, you're like, oh, I really want this and this needs to work out. And I really prayed for it. And, you know, and, and so when, when you really ardently want something and you don't get it, you, you take, I, I take a lot of solace in the fact that pretty much down the road, something happens and I go, holy cow. If, if I had gotten what I asked for, this would have never, ever happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so yeah, yeah. I like, I like that saying unanswered prayers. I've, I haven't heard that, but that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so bring me up to speed with what, what all you handle, um, like on a, on a daily basis when it, I mean, it sounds, it really does sound like the dream job that you're, you know, basically like coordinating equestrian travel trips. And I'm sure it's, I'm sure there are much more in-depth, not fun things that you have to do, but on the surface level, it sounds quite glamorous. (laughs) It's totally glamorous. I mean, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't long for their vacation? And, and half of the fun of a vacation is the planning it and the looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. And it's really, truly the icing on the cake when you go and the vacation is exactly, you know, all it's built up to be. And so a lot of what's done on a daily basis for these trips is speaking with people live. Like we don't have any way, and and this is by design, it's intentional. There is no way for someone to actually reserve a trip online without actually speaking to somebody in the office in person. And the reason, yeah, the reason that we do it that way is it's twofold. The the most important reason is that we need to make sure that the trip the person is wanting to take is appropriate for them, that they're that that it's the right sort of riding for them, that it is not going to be too much or too little for them. And you know, making sure that it's a good fit. And and so sometimes we do have conversations where we say to someone, I know you inquired about riding in XYZ place, but you also mentioned that you don't really care for rustic accommodations. So it's probably, you know, here's what the, you know, here's what the bed and breakfasts are like, and here's what the farmhouses are like. And, you know, I kind of think that a better choice for you would be this, mm-hmm. just to give you the experience that you're, that you're longing for. So it's, it's a lot of consultation and just having an open dialogue and being candid. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't deny people the chance to go on any of the trips unless it's a safety concern. Mm-hmm. But, but really the only thing that keeps us having the client base that we have, and we've got about, um, we're lucky, you know, we've got about 8,000 regular clients that travel either annually or every other year. And I mean, and these are repeat clients. So we feel pretty, pretty glad about that. That's not, you know, it's not a ginormous amount. We'd love to have more, but it keeps us hopping. But 
the reason that they do keep coming back is because they actually look at us and, and trust us for what we say so that the experience that they have is the experience that they expect. Mm-hmm. That there's not any surprises about it. Because travel, you tra- travel has enough, you know, there's enough surprises in travel as it is, right? Like you make a, you, you want to make holiday plans to go visit your family. You book your airfare. And the next thing you know, you're getting emails saying, we've had a change to your flight. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait. <laughs> totally. You know, that's why it, it's it's one of those things that, that travel is an adventure just in and of itself, the beast of travel, not not the actual trip itself, but the getting there, the logistics of it. When you mentioned that you like to have a phone call with people because sometimes, you know, they're not, sometimes they don't always pick the best suited um, experience for their personality and maybe their skill level or whatever. And I was just thinking about like, oh my God, aren't horse people like like totally notorious for doing things like that, where I feel like some person <laughs> like, uh, I want to school cross country in Ireland and jump four foot jump. And then, and then like the reality is that like, maybe they can post the trot. <laughs> right. It, it happens. And again, you know, this is where you work really hard and, and our team here at the office you know, when they were new, they had to be coached on this to understand. But what you just said is so typical. Like you'll say to someone, well, tell me about your riding. And, you know, and you leave it wide open like that. And they'll come back to you and say, well, my horse is schooling three foot six. And, you know, we have lessons three times a week. And, you know, and so you, like, that sounds pretty impressive, right? So you sit there and you say, okay, great. So are you regularly, are you showing at three foot six? Are you, oh no, I'm not doing that. My trainer's doing that, you know? <laughs> so, so then you have to sort of, you know, dial it back and get down to the nitty gritty about what the person is actually doing and, you know, still keeping the dream alive for them. Okay. Right. They're not schooling three foot six. They're, they're really back under three feet fine, no problem. What's your goal? What do you expect to get out of this? What are you hoping to get out of this? Are you wanting to jump, you know, that high? Are you, you know, and so you sort of spend the time getting to know the person and and what resonates? What's the burning desire in their heart? What would make them have a week that they would just go, that was the freaking most awesome thing I ever did in my life. I can't wait to do it again. Because that's what we want. You know, we we spend a lot of time trying to to really dial into people about what's their burning desire and what is their actual skill set and what are they really doing with their riding right now. And and we explain it to them. It's not a question of, hey, we doubt what you're saying as much as it is, hey, we want to make sure you have a like off the charts amazing experience. And the only way we can do that is to share information openly and candidly and freely. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. I I feel like I talk to um just in you know in the job that I do, I talk to trainers regularly about like their skill at kind of um you know, evaluating horses and riders maybe in a lesson setting or a training setting or a clinic setting or something like that. But you know, like there they are with the actual person and the actual horse and, and they have the advantage of seeing all that. But I'm thinking about how it must be just, it sounds very challenging, but also fascinating to try to 
kind of evaluate what is appropriate for people um, just based on getting to know them over the phone. But that's interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, the the way it's it's a two way street, right? So you have to listen to what they're saying and then try to decide what they're really saying, uh, unless unless you decide what they're really saying is really, truly accurate, that they're self-representing correctly. And and so, for example, all of the trail rides that we offer, with the exception of like one, require that folks be able to ride at all gates. You have to be able to walk, trot, and canter, not necessarily gallop, but walk, trot, and canter on a trail. So now I'm focused on the trail rides, right? Mm-hmm. So those now, so someone might say to me, well, I, I ride six days a week and yeah, I can do all that. And so I'll say to them, well, okay, great. Where, where do you live? You know, oh, I live in, in Kansas and I'll say, oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, cause I've ridden in Kansas and, and I'm like, so what part, anyway, the point is like, like you start talking to them and you realize they're riding on mainly flat land, mm. flat ground. They're not ascending or descending. So not that it's so completely different about shifting your weight going up and downhill, but it does make a difference. And there are times on like the ride that we offer in Oregon, the vineyard ride, the coast, you know, you go out to the coast and then you ride through all the vineyards in, in Oregon and do wine tasting. I mean, that is a really hilly ride. I mean, you are absolutely going up some steep hills. And so if someone hasn't, hasn't done that on a regular basis, it it does require a little more from you in terms of of your fitness level because it's not just you're doing it one morning of one day it's pretty much like if you're not going up you're going down and then you're coming into a vineyard you know i mean it's it, it does require a little more from a person so so and we so, so then you know we try to ferret out that information from them but then we also try to share with them let me describe what this ride is like to you both from a pace standpoint and from the the standpoint of the terrain uh, because every ride is really in the end paced to the ability of the slowest rider right so when when someone understands that then they start listening to you more you know more closely and and they'll say no that doesn't sound like a good ride for me or no that ride sounds too slow for me or you know and and the conversation goes on from there but it's you know because nobody wants to be that person who's holding the entire group back and and then you know I'll just take it all the way to the very end of that conversation which is to say if for some reason the person has still misrepresented or misunderstood in some way, which is really difficult because we're extremely thorough about it. But, you know, if someone is just not able to keep up on a lot of these rides, on the trail rides, again, you know, a lot of them are progressive. They move each day to a different place. And so it's entirely possible. It's not never happened, but it's entirely possible that we reserve the right to, to say to them, you can't continue with this ride. And, and that, that's a horrible vacation. So and we work really hard to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Oh, huh. Yeah. Well, you know, so you mentioned that, um, that trip to Oregon, uh, like riding on the coast and through the vineyards and everything. I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like such a dream vacation. And it, I mean, it sounds like 
had some really amazing travel experiences. Um, do you have any like memorable stories that you could share from those experiences? Oh gosh. Um, over the last 17 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, where to start? I mean, and, and I assume you mean about the riding itself. Like you're not interested in the time that I turned my rental car back in in Ireland and it had to scrape down the offside, the whole oh. entire offside. <laughs> that's that's a the story too, but yeah, most, mostly the horse stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, word to the wise, take the extra car insurance because you just walk away and you're like, sorry. But um, yeah, you know, uh, here's, here was something really funny that happened. So I, I am mainly these days a trail rider who likes to do some hunter pacing. And I will go to some schooling dressage shows because we, most of my fall, winter, and early spring are filled with exercises, you know, in the arena. There's not much trail riding in the Northeast at that point. I mean, of any consequence. Mm-hmm. So, so I enjoy dressage. I really love the cerebral part of it, the athleticism of it, and it really benefits, you know, my horse a lot. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to ride with, with the program that we offer in Massachusetts, which is at Sons of the Wind with Detour Silver. And, and I thought, and I said to him, look, you know, I'm mainly a trail rider. I'm here to just kind of work on some basic things. I, you know, I think I have a pretty good seat. I, you know, help me out with this. So I go there and I think, what's the the big deal? It's going to be two lessons a day, no problem. Except, uh, is it all girls on this uh, this conversation or not? Because after the first lesson, I had a problem with the seam of, (laughs) I had a problem in the, in the nether regions with the seam of my, you know, underwear. And I went, I'm not going to be able to get this under this piece of underwear off because it's now embedded in my flesh <laughs> from sitting appropriately. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, I laugh about it because when I have spoken to my friends who really are active dressage riders and competing regularly they're like been there sister done that everybody's been there so then ensued this whole conversation about once I extracted said piece of garment (laughs) um you know how how to then what to do for the next lesson and uh and to to try another pair to go without to you know and so anyway it seems that the group that was with me that week was uh, pretty well divided between the like, I wear bike shorts, I wear nothing, I don't have that problem. You know, meanwhile, I'm like, does anybody have any Neosporin or something? Because, because I've really got a problem. It made for an interesting next few days. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I swear, I don't think I have walked the same for a week. <laughs> I know, I know for a fact that you are definitely not the only person who has struggled with this. Um, I, I have a really like vivid memory of, oh, I think it was like a couple of years ago at this point, we did um, like a special event with a, with a really lovely Olympic dressage rider. And um, 
she invited us and some people to her farm and she did a whole training day and demonstration and, and it was amazing and, you know, like super educational and, and she was really great at like making everybody feel comfortable and at home and, and like, you know, like we were able to have some cool conversations and have a good dialogue back and forth, like the audience with this rider. And she, she took time out of her day to explain like, look, if you are a dressage professional, you need to make sure you have your undergarment situation figured out. And here's what I would recommend. And she had recommended bike shorts too. And, and, um, and you know, when, when things go south, in in that region it really it's horribly distracting so yeah <laughs> I, I understand how that would make for a pretty memorable vacation <laughs> and probably yeah. Yeah. for you and everyone on the trip too huh <laughs> oh my god they they died laughing I mean and actually one of the other girls had had a similar problem not quite as bad as I did and you know what I just I just chalk it up to well, I guess my seat is plenty deep. I'm learning, you know, how to have a deep seat because I'm sitting correctly, apparently, for the first time ever. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, something else I think is kind of funny, too. I I can't speak from experience about, like, you know, going on these amazing, amazing trail rides and all these cool destinations. But, like, the one comparable experience that I have is that, um, like, when I was a kid, I went to this um, riding camp up in Vermont and it was like an eventing camp and we were riding like four hours a day, I think it was. And I remember like when I was heading up there for camp, I didn't, you know, I didn't balk at that. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, great. I get to be on a horse for four hours. Like what, what could possibly go wrong? And, um, and then I think, and you know, I was a kid who took like a few lessons a week at the time and, it was so funny how like once I got up there, you know, I'm like this horse crazy kid who just can't, you know, get enough of things. But I had this realization where I was like, you know, in the midst of camp, I was like, you know what? Riding four hours a day is a hugely different experience than doing my like biweekly lesson, you know? And like, I, I, I feel like I wasn't really necessarily prepared for the like mental and physical challenge of that. And I'm sure if there's a dressage professional listening to this, they say like, okay, we'll try doing an eight hour day where you ride 10 horses or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. For like the average rider, it, it is a huge difference to go riding, you know, several times a week. It is. It is. It's, it's tremendous. I mean, because, because we were, I mean, at home and, and I'm pretty typical, right? Like I work and ride on a fairly regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so, but when I'm riding at home, I'm either riding in the arena, which is, which is great. And it's a lot of work because I'm actually working and we're actually trying to have a movement that looks like an actual movement instead of some wonky ovally shaped whatever thing I'm you know whatever (laughs) but um but but on the trail rides we're riding hour and a half two hours at the most you know and we're doing that on a Saturday or a Sunday or both but that's it so you get on these trail rides and the, the the shortest trail rides that we offer are about five hours a day now with breaks you know like breaks for lunch and so forth but even me you know, I, and I know how it is now. I mean, I get out there and first day I'm like, yeah, this is so great. We're having such a great time. Look where we are. The second day I'm like, oh, I'm a little sore, but this is so great. The third day I get in the saddle and my seatbelts are like, if you sit down, I'm going to effing kill you. Like you are going to be in two point all day, you know, <laughs> so, you know, and, and so 
by by a couple hours into the third day, my seat bones have relented and they're like, we yield, whatever, I, either that or I've had a shot of whiskey or something to like make the pain go away. But um, go. yeah, it's, it, it, <laughs> it does, it does. And, you know, and, and, you know, again, for the trail rides, I'm a huge proponent for seat savers. I, I never travel without a sheepskin seat saver. And I mean the real sheepskin, not the cheap baking thing, the, the real one. It makes an entirely huge world of difference. In fact, I travel with two because there's always somebody who didn't think they would need it and they end up being so grateful to have it. So it, and it takes up no space in your luggage. You know, but the thing is, I couldn't have said to Vitor when I was at Sons of the Wind, can I pull a seat saver on my saddle? He'd have been like, what is wrong with you? You're smoking crack. I mean, like, get on and ride. I mean, he is, he's a taskmaster and a purist and, you know, but he gets results from you that way. So that would have been nice. Um, are there, are there any good, like, cool travel stories that you can share with us in, in addition to, to that one? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, well. Let's see, there, yeah, there's a couple, in fact. There was the time that I was traveling to Africa on, to go on a safari ride, and the driver that I, that I had made arrangements with to pick me up at the airport in Nairobi did not show up. Mm. And so, you know, you've flown all night to get there, and it's, so it's like five in the morning, in Nairobi and everybody is off the plane and look and I've gotten my luggage and I've got this big huge suitcase and I've got my my hat on like I had not a cowboy hat but sort of a big hat like that to keep the sun off my face and you know and I've got my camera bag and talk about looking like a total tourist and like the guy doesn't come and and now everybody's gone it's just me standing there and so now the next so fast forward an hour and I'm calling on the phone and I can't, he's not answering the phone and there's no like office phone number to call or anything like that. And um, yeah, so then the next wave of people come through and there are all these Europeans that have come to visit their families, you know, and everybody's happy and I'm still standing there with my big, huge suitcase, and my camera bag, <laughs> still looking for this driver and, and they all come and leave. Now I'm the only person in the airport again standing there. And then the next week of people people come, which are all local flights, like all inter-African flights. So now I'm standing in a very crowded airport full of, of people who are a completely different color than I am, which is of no consequence other than the fact that if you're the only person that is different than all the others, you feel extremely self-conscious. Like I clearly don't fit in here. This is really very different. And, you know, it's a, it's a unique travel experience to be a complete fish out of water in a situation like that. Because, you, you know, you're in a place that you don't know, in a country you don't know. You can't get in touch with anyone. And it could have been, if everybody wasn't so darn lovely and nice, it could have been a really scary situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it could have been like being in an Asian country with no other, you know, non-Asian people, no other English-speaking people, and and sort of being sort of stuck, and it was um it was interesting. The driver did finally show up. What what was his problem? Well, he went on a bender the night before and slept overslept. Oh, great! So, so 
like, um, okay, great. Well, thanks so much. And, uh, and, and all is well that, that ends well. In fact, the, the way that, that that did end up so well is that there was a little hotel kiosk desk at the airport in Nairobi. And the gentleman that managed that desk, and they, they had no outside phone. They had a phone that connected straight to the hotel. But he was like, look, you can come in so you're not standing out in the fray. You can come in behind my desk. You know, but again, you know, you're a single woman all by yourself. And there's this guy who's like, yeah, you can come into my little kiosk, you know, and you're like, I don't know what, you know, but he was super straight up and nice. And and at some point you just have to go, you know what, riding horses is unpredictable and travel can be unpredictable. And you have to trust your gut and say, I, I either feel safe or I don't feel safe and I'm just going to go for it. And the guy was like my hero, you know, let me stand there until Till the driver came. Needless to say, we do not use that driver anymore because <laughs> because it's um it's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking to end up in a foreign place by yourself because I there was no one else traveling with me on that trip and you know and feeling completely like a fish out of water. You can't call home. What are they going to do? You know. Right. So yeah, it just added to the adventure. That and that and the time that I went on a ride and the Sierra Nevadas in California in June and and we make packing lists for people so that they know what to bring but you know it, it's it's the whole like um the the cobbler's children who go shoeless I guess I don't actually know how to read so I it, it, on, on an off chance I threw a I thought oh maybe it's gonna get cool at night we're camping out in the wilderness and I mean camping like sleeping in a tent camping I thought I'm going to throw this turtleneck, this light summer turtleneck in my bag, except on the third day of the trip, it snowed and it snowed for two days. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So my white turtleneck ended up being some shade of gray slash black, depending on where you look. Your, your story about, um, about arranging for transportation in Nairobi and feeling like a fish out of water. I had, um, I've done very few, trips for trips related to horses internationally. But a few years ago, when was it? I think it was in 2016. Uh, I went to Germany for a month on behalf of dressage today. And, um, I had, which Germany, right. This is like, you know, I feel like amazing. It, it, it's totally amazing. And it was such a great experience. Um, but you know, it, it was, I didn't expect it to be so difficult to fly under the radar there. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm, I'm tall and blonde and blue eyed. And, you know, I, I was kind of like, Oh, well, I'll just blend in with all the Germans. Right. No one's going to notice me. And then I'm like, you know, big American with my big American suitcase and my big American camera and my big American laptop bags. And I'm like trying to like, you know, wedge myself into these like little train compartments and stuff. And, and, um, and and I just remember thinking like, wow, like I feel like such a foreigner here. And and it's crazy because practically everyone around me even can speak English. So it's, it, you know, it's not like, or, or even when I've been to England before too, I felt like this massive foreigner, but I even spoke the same language as they did. So I, I imagine it's got to be just a really like a, a huge, hugely eye-opening experience to go to someplace so totally foreign. And, and, and something else that I, I, I don't know if 
well, it sounds like you and I sort of had a similar experience in this way, but how much I really, as a foreigner, had to rely on just the kindness and generosity and like grace of other people just to sort of bail me out. And and it kind of like renewed my faith in humanity that there were all these people who came to my rescue at all of these strange times. No, it's it's true. And, and you have to, you know, at, at some point you just have to go on faith. And it, but, but you also, again, you know, situational awareness is important, right? Mm-hmm. I, I never, so, so when I was talking about feeling like a fish out of water, when, when the domestic African flights came in, I never felt threatened. I mean, everybody there was there for the same reason, you know, they were greeting their friends and family, they were getting their luggage, they were moving along. But you, when you're, when you look completely different, you feel conspicuous, but nobody, again, in, in fairness, nobody approached me and said, hey, are you looking, you know, do you need a ride? Can, I mean, n- nobody, there was no nefarious activity that happened or even remotely threatening, but you, but you feel that way. You're sort of on high alert, right? Because, because you're like, oh, I'm different. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 but it's, but but in the end, you chalk it up to part of the adventure, and you do. You know, it does redeem your faith in humanity. And and I think there are moments like that domestically, too. I think that that sometimes we treat domestic travel as more like a family member instead of being in a, in a different place. What I mean by that is I think we have less patience and higher expectations with domestic travel than we do when we're in a foreign place where it's not so familiar. And so we tend to to not be possibly as open to seeing that people are trying or, or willing to help. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, to, to your point, like I think about um, like some of my friends who live in Europe, you know, I talk to them and then, I'm, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And they're like, oh, yes, we're going to Spain for the weekend. And I'm like, oh, that's uh, super cool. I'm going to be going to like the next state over from me this weekend. And, and while sometimes I feel like that seems so lame in comparison, like I think too about how like, well, wait a second, the United States like covers geog, like, you know, the equivalence of me flying from New York to Texas is the equivalent of, you know, uh, well, I'm not going to be able to draw a good geographic right. comparison, but I mean, that's, that could be going to two different continents if you're, in, you know, starting off your journey in Europe, you know? And, and I feel like no, it is. we do kind of undersell like the, the um, kind of enormity of the task of just crossing our own country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, you, you bear in mind as well that when the European Union was established, it became very fluid to travel from country to country. Like it wasn't, you didn't have to wait in the huge long lines. If you had an EU passport, then then it was like traveling between states at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's sort of like the way we travel from here to Mexico. Going to Mexico, you can fly from any domestic airport to get to Mexico anymore and, and back. And there's no delays like through customs and so forth. And, and that's how it is within Europe. So at the moment, hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. But yeah. So speaking. Yeah, I know it does sound, it does sound glamorous though, right? What are you doing? Oh, we're going to Italy for the weekend. Really? Oh. Like, <laughs> Saying like, 
I'm going to North Carolina. Just it just doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> yeah, not so much. I'm breaking my leaves, you know. <laughs> hey, friends. The show will be back in just a few moments. But first, I want to tell you about something cool from Dressage Today. If you're an average dressage rider like me, you've only got a certain amount of time you spend in the arena each week, and it hardly ever seems to be enough. You know the struggle. Maybe you take weekly lessons, or you read books and articles. Well, you obviously listen to this podcast. And maybe you travel to clinics to soak up whatever you can. But if you're looking to take a deep dive into dressage training without ever leaving your couch, you need to check out Dressage Today On Demand. Learn from top experts in the sport of dressage with Dressage Today's complete video on-demand training resource. Whether you're looking to better your basics or you're polishing Grand Prix movements, Dressage Today's 3,000 plus training videos can help you reach those goals. Visit ondemand.dressagetoday.com to score a free trial. Yeah. Well, so speaking of domestic travel, um, I want to you know, obviously speak to those people who are, who are listening to this conversation and saying, but I'm stuck in the United States for the foreseeable future. How, how, what can I do with my time? So, um, what kinds of travel options are currently available to us, like under COVID circumstances, um, like in terms of, you know, like what sort of cool riding vacations are there in the U S that are available to people right now? Right. So here's the thing. There are vacations available in quite a few different places. However, and and I am not a however person, but let's just be practical about it. You know, a lot of states have limitations on places where you can go that you would have to quarantine when you come back or places that you would go that you would have to quarantine upon arriving. And, (coughs) excuse me, so, you know, one of the first things that I would say to people is know what the expectations are in the state where you live. And then we will help you with what the expectations are in the states where you're going. Almost all of the places that where we have domestic trips, you know, Montana and Massachusetts and Tennessee and California, they don't have quarantine requirements folks coming from outside those states so they they are relatively accessible the the challenge becomes what your home state is going to require from you because everybody can can totally get their head around okay i need a break like i've had enough of covid and enough of politics and enough of like like calgon take me away like you know get me on a horse in the country somewhere so you know but but can someone afford or or have the ability to take an extra two weeks to quarantine. So, so for example, I'm here in New York and New York is one of the strictest states. Like they've got a list of 24 states that if you visit that state and you come back, they're going to do contact tracing and you're, you're not going to be able to, you're supposed to self quarantine in your house. Are they going to station someone outside, outside your house? No, but the fines that they're going to charge are just crazy high. So, you know, $2,000 $2,000 or something like that. Like it's, yeah, yeah. It's a whole other, it's a whole other week's vacation, yeah. you know? I mean, so it, you know, that's the biggest challenge. What, what we look for. And, and so I can't help, I can't help someone if their state has 
you know, has a situation like that, like in New York. So for example, I, I think I shared with you that I was gone last week to Maine because I had three trips scheduled, three riding trips scheduled, and not a single one of them happened for, for obvious reasons due to COVID. I, I had held out, um, I was making a, a repeat trip it was supposed to be last week. I was supposed to be coming home tomorrow back to Peru with some friends and my husband who had never been. And so, you know, that I was holding out hope that that trip would actually go ahead and happen, but it can't. I mean, Peru's not, it, it, we waited to the very end and no, can't, can't do it. So, and I said to my husband, if I don't go somewhere and somewhere that's not the four walls of of my office or our house, I'm going to end up like homicidal. Like it's just not going to be good. <laughs> so, you know, but then became, but then became the question of well, where can I go? Because New York is very restrictive about what has to happen when you, when you get back. Right. And so, so anyway, so we went to Maine. Maine is on the approved list according to New York, but you know, we have the places where we offer trips, do not have quarantine restrictions. So they will take travelers. And the reason is especially that the ranches and the farms that we work with will do that is because it's small. You know, the even on the the ranch rides that we offer, the ones in Colorado and the ones in Montana and Wyoming, they're taking about 12 to 15 people in a week. And that's it. That's a total group size. Mm-hmm. And you're out. You know, you're Talk about social distancing at its finest. You know, everybody knows leave a horse's length, right? And, and even if you didn't leave a horse's length, there's still six feet front to back between you and someone in front of you. So you're, you're not really in jeopardy that way. Um, the, the trick is just how do you, you know, what does your state require when you return home? So, you know. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I think is tricky about New York State, too, is that, like, you know, a, a state that's on the list one week that it's a, you know, it's a restricted place or uh, it's a place that has restrictions that when you return, you have to quarantine. That list is changing on a weekly basis. So I feel like you do have to be really diligent about, you know, just keeping up with the news and, and like monitoring those sorts of things, too. You do. And and so generally, and we can't insist that people do this because it's not required. I personally think it's foolish not to, but we, so we generally say to people, do yourself a favor and get travel insurance. Because here's the bottom line, the way the trips, I mean, one of the great things that's happened in travel due to COVID is that it has become a lot more flexible. It used to be so inflexible and rigid. And so if you had to change your plans, it was going to cost you. And it could potentially cost you up to and including the full cost of your trip. Mm -hmm. But thanks to COVID, now you can make flight changes at no charge. uh, And that has trickled down to, to the rides themselves. So if somebody would end up not being able to travel due to COVID, they're able to go ahead and, and delay their trip you know, with no penalty fees. So we just pick future dates, you know, down the road that there is no. So let's say this trip that this trip to Maine that I just took was not a riding trip. We do not offer riding in Maine. But let's just say that it had been and and for some reason Maine then became on the, the list for New York. 
if I wouldn't have been able to salvage that, like if, if the host wouldn't have allowed me to change, our travel insurance would have indemnified us. So we would have, what we would have lost is just the cost of the policy for the travel insurance, which was like, I don't know, $150. So a person, mm-hmm. so, you know, $300, $300 compared to, you know, $3,500 is, is a big deal. You sure. know? Oh yeah. So, hmm. so yeah, so we're, we're, I, I mean, I have always been on the bandwagon of get, get travel insurance and I have used it o- over the years. I have used it about five times for various reasons. And so I'm a, I am a convert to it, but now more than ever, because who knows who would have ever, even in, even in February when, you know, the phones were ringing off the hook and people were making plans, who would have ever thought that three short weeks later, it, it would have been, you know, silence, <laughs> crickets. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. So when things start to loosen up and travel, you know, whether domestically, internationally, whatever, um, becomes more accessible to people, um, could you tell us about some of the like dreamy travel opportunities out there that are open to dressage riders? I feel like we need to like give people something to look forward to, like a like a light at the end of the COVID tunnel. <laughs> The, there's a couple of places internationally. So here's the thing. Let me back up a second. All of the trips that we offer, and we do not have a yellow pages of, of riding trips. Our trips are actually curated intentionally. So what that means is the trips that you see on our site have been hand-selected and they've been personally inspected and visited, and the horses have been ridden, the beds have been slept in. People know what, you know, we know what the travel experience is gonna be like to get there. So that when we're when I'm speaking to you, I can say, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna fly, you know, this is where you're gonna fly, then we're, this is where we're gonna meet you, you're gonna walk like this. So it's, it's helpful because the, the trips that I think are probably the most fun because they combine incredible scenery and just exceptional riding for dressage folks are either the trip that we offer in Portugal to Montevideo Equal Resort or the trip that we offer to the Epona um, Equestrian Center. And one, so one is in Spain, one is in Portugal. <clears throat> we we used to have a trip in Germany. We, we ended up disbanding that trip. Um, as much as a dressage rider would love to ride in Germany, we found that we couldn't find a German instructor that could effectively coach a lower level rider without being too forceful. Um, because it's your vacation. You want, you know, you want someone to push you, but not to where you're crying at the end of every lesson. <laughs> so, so, um, so yes, I'm still looking. So anybody who's listening to this, if you happen to know of an off the chart great place in Germany who has an instructor that can really not just teach high level, you know, the upper level riders, but also the, the folks that want to rise up, um, please let me know. I'm, I'm, you know, my ears are always open. But yeah. so the two that 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 are kind of the, the key ones are the one at Montevideo and the one at Epona. And both of those places have this amazing environment where 
it's like you you step onto the farm and it's almost like stepping into its own little bubble of a world like nothing is too much trouble everything is super comfortable the food is incredible the riding is really superb these horses are all highly trained most of them are trained up through pre-st george so it's you know and and it, so it's it's something for for every level but they're not push buttons so <clears throat> it's it's nice because folks like me again who who if i were to go to, to a schooling show now i would be going into like first level one, first level two, like I wouldn't be even at second level to be able to do any sort of, and to get a reasonable score. Mm-hmm. But, but if I, when I spent a week in Portugal at Montevideo, by the end of the week, really about two thirds of the way through the week, they had me tuned up to where I could reliably get some Piaf and Passage on a couple of the horses all by myself. With no help from <laughs> so, which which was like freaking amazing, and you know they had you really feeling the movement, so what was kind of fun for me about that was you know these these p r e horses and and in particular um though not pretty though not as common here in the u s they're so expressive in their movements. And, and so forgiving that they're a lot less complicated to learn on than the warm bloods. Mm-hmm. And because the, the last two horses I've had were a Holsteiner and a Hanoverian. Big, huge, you know, 17 two hand warm bloods, lots of movement, but lots of moving parts as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when, when, when I'm in this lesson in Portugal and they're saying, all right, now when you come around the short side, you're going to put your outside leg on and you're going to half pass to the center line. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so I slide my leg back and all of a sudden my inside hip is like thrust up and in. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't do that. You know, but there's these horses really help you feel the movement. And you're like, I get it. I get how that's supposed to feel. And there's no doubt about it. You know, like there's no question. And, you know, and then you get off after after two hours of, of lessons, you have a lesson in the morning, a lesson in the afternoon, <clears throat> or a trail ride if you choose. But you know, you get off and you're like, "Yep, I'm gonna. You're gonna see me with a glass of wine, sitting over in the hot tub, watching the sunset." I mean, to me, you just don't get any better of of a trip. Someone has pushed you to where you are a sweaty mess, like you, your core is engaged. You know, you're you're sort of peeling your your pants off after your lesson. But you are absolutely happy, you know, you can unwind with a massage. It, it, it's really like being in a resort. I mean, and that's how they're referred to. But it's, it's just incredible. And it's fun because, again, the groups are small. So you find that, that you end up wanting to watch the other riders, and especially the riders who are, are more skilled, because it's really fun to watch their lessons and hear what they're working on. And, you know, and, and you end up, becoming a cohesive group even if you've all come from separate places and you're you're not cheering each other on but you're like you did that so well it's it's just a you leave the week going that was one of the most amazing weeks of my life and those trips like Epona in Spain and and Montevideo in Portugal you know they'll take 
really only about 12 people in a week in order for everyone to get the appropriate time in their lessons. And so the challenge becomes between that and the fact that people seem to go back year after year after year, the slots tend to be very scarce. Mm. So, so we generally say to folks, look, try to have some flexibility either when you can go or book early because it's, you know, you want to be able to get it. And, and they go and they're like, oh my gosh, that was unbelievable. And it, it is, it's great. It's just, I can't, I can't gush enough about it because even though I don't compete, you know, even though I'm not an active competitor and I'm not pursuing my medals or anything like that, even someone like me goes, that was utterly amazing. And I became such a better rider from being there in a week. In fact, I think everybody should go no matter what sort of riding you do, because they, they'll put you, you know, they'll put you on a long line. They'll put you in a lunge lesson. And it's hard anymore to, as a dressage rider to get lunge lessons, which are so helpful for helping, you know, have an independent seat and managing the different parts of your body and so forth. So they'll do all of that for you, which is great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, it's interesting too, because I, I think about um, when you had mentioned the PREs, I was like, oh yeah, that's such a like, like fascinating um, aspect of international travel is that I feel like you would get, you would get exposed to breeds that you just don't get exposed to as, I mean, of course we have Spanish horses here. So one of the things that is super important to me is that when you go to a country, you ride the horses native to that country. That's part of the cultural experience. So when, when you go to Portugal, you're riding Lusitanos. When you go to Spain, you're riding Andalusians. And this goes for the trail rides as well, not just the lesson programs. When you go to Ireland, you're riding the Gypsy Banners and Connemaras and the Irish Sport Horses. So you're, you're getting that part of the experience as well. Yeah, so not just is it important that, that we feel like you should be able to ride the breeds, but one of the problems from a dressage standpoint that we have found domestically is you can find excellent trainers domestically. I mean, really good trainers. But to find a trainer who's going to week in and week out, bring riders in a varied ability and put them on their their school masters, their highly schooled horses, is nearly impossible. It's it's almost a needle in a haystack. Mm -hmm. So it's the package deal. And so it really is amazing to be able to offer these places where people can, they can go and ride the horses that are highly trained, highly schooled and have that experience with excellent training. Yeah. To- yeah, totally. That's that. Well, and I, I feel like just barn shopping here in the United States for me with my like, you know, like adult amateur competition horse, like just finding one trainer is hard and we speak the same language and, you know, like we're not traversing <laughs> So I can imagine that must be quite a, quite a challenge. I, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to focus on one of the places versus the other, but one of the other neat things about the Portugal location is that the, right now, the, the head trainer there who trains the, the second in charge trainer, if you will, but, but the, the head trainer is 
not someone that people have generally heard of. Uh, she's she's very big internationally in competition, but her but her passion is training. It wasn't so much getting out there and making a name for herself as a rider. And and so the the second trainer, this gentleman named Joao, you know, she is has worked with him for five years and is bringing him along. And he and his and his horse, his homebred horse from this place where you ride, are now ranked 35th in the world. And that's that's not jump change. And my point in mentioning that is that these are the people that are, that, you know, there's a staff of four there. These are two of the staff members that are giving you your lessons when you're there. I mean, so you're not just riding with people that you've never heard of. You're riding with people that are out there and actually getting it done and climbing the ranks. And it's pretty exciting. And it's great because once you've been there, you start seeing these people in in DT and, you know, online. And, and all of a sudden you're like, I rode with that person. I mean, you know, it's, it just adds a whole nother element of excitement to it. Oh yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. And, and I do, I recall those places because I believe that we've run articles um, about them in the past. I remember reading them and drool, reading about them and drooling over them and I'm sold. When do we leave? Let's go. <laughs> but, Tomorrow, please. <laughs> if only. When you were talking about the challenge of finding a riding instructor in Germany, I don't, I don't want to like make it feel like we're harping on that or anything. But I, I hope I share this because I hope some people will uh, learn from my huge mistake in doing this. But um, I had all of when I went to Germany, uh, I was. I had a bunch of sort of like business appointments lined up and stuff like that. And I had some really cool experiences. Like I got to visit Hubertus Schmidt and Ingrid Klimka and <gasps> Hannenberg. And like, it was incredible wow. trip. But the thing that I did not plan, <laughs> this is like embarrassing to admit, but um, I just th- threw my half chaps, my helmet, my boots in my suitcase. And I said to myself, it's fine. I'll find somewhere to ride when I'm there. It's Germany. How hard can it be? There's horses everywhere. There's horses everywhere. And do you believe that in the stupid month that I was in Germany, I didn't sit on a horse once because I couldn't find a place to like teach an American student. And like, like if anybody has any plans of like going to Europe and just showing up and assuming that you can get on a horse, I don't because you can't, you can't just do that. So, um, no, no, totally different. I mean, Ireland, completely different story. Of course, there are no dressage trips in Ireland, but um, but I mean, at least that that I know of. But but it's true. I mean, you, you know, you can't you can't just walk on and be like, hey, I'd, I'd like to take a lesson from you. They're going to be like, yeah, we we're busy. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, next time I travel internationally and I hope to ride a horse, I will um hopefully w- work with You're going to call me. Yourself. Yeah, who You're going to call me. Some appropriate <laughs> guidance. Let's say you and I are taken off to go to Epona for a little while. Um what kind of tips would you would you give me um for, you know, setting off on a big international equestrian trip? <clears throat> so Sure, no problem. So the first thing, and we already chatted about it, is I would highly encourage you to get travel insurance. And we, I generally recommend a website that's that is basically an aggregator for policies. They don't sell the policies, so you know you can go and basically 
uh, what's that a la carte you can go and and sort of create craft and create your own policy specific to what your needs are or what you think you might need and and then they send you out to whomever the company is to purchase it whether it's berkshire hathaway or travel guard or travel x or whatever so you know that's first and foremost i i highly encourage that but we so we're classified as a tour operator which means generally when you book a trip with us we tell you where to be on day one and then we tell you where we're dropping you off at the end of the week uh, on the last day and and it's really up to you to decide what you're going to do about getting there you make your own airfare plans if you're going to come in early you make your own you know accommodation arrangements or tours now that's not to say that we can't make recommendations for you because again we we try to be consultants about it I prefer that we don't get involved in booking things for you, but generally what, what I found that seems to work best is we, we've created on TripAdvisor sort of these sample trips in these different places, like, like in, in Lisbon and in, so Lisbon would be the jumping off point for, um, for Portugal or, or in, you know, Madrid, the jumping off point for Epona. I mean, it's so, you know, we create these, these sort of sample trips in these metropolitan areas and, and share it with you so that you can see the things that we think are, are of interest and decide what you want to do. You can also research it on your own. And, and in fact, we encourage folks to research things on their own because again, the planning builds the anticipation, which keeps the dream alive. And you're like, oh, this is going to be so great. And all of a sudden you see an article about, you know, you, you're tripping along through your Sunday paper and you see an article about Spain and you're like, wait, what's it about? And it has nothing to do with horses, but you're like, how far is that from where I'm going to be? That sounds pretty cool. It just adds to the whole fun of planning the trip. So, um, so yeah. So we can recommend things like that. I generally use a couple of different sites when I'm making my travel plans. So for airfare and for flights, I'm sorry, for airfare and for hotels, I like to always use a site called momondo.com, which is M-O-M like Mary, M-O-M-O-N-D-O.com. They, um, again, source things out, you end up booking directly with the airline as opposed to booking through them. So it's not like an Orbitz where like if you go to Orbitz to search your flights, when you make your booking, you're booking through Orbitz and Orbitz is sort of your travel, you know, partner for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I find Momundo has very good rates. I find Kayak has very good rates. I think pretty much everybody has heard of Kayak.com at this point. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a risk taker a little bit, a wonderful app that we have used and love is called Hotel Tonight and and also Trivago, which is T-R-I-V-A-G-O, V like Victor, A-G-O, Trivago. They're great for finding last minute hotel deals like day of. So, you know, at that point, the only caveat I would tell folks is be a little smart about when you're traveling. It's like if you're traveling in the summer, which is typically peak time, your tickets are going to be a lot slimmer with these these hotel apps because a lot of the hotel rooms are going to be full right. already. But but if you're traveling now, like September, October, November, 
man, it, the, the world is your oyster. It's, it's great. Um, it's a nice way to save, you know, save some money. I, I think I had also mentioned earlier to you that we have packing lists. Yeah. That we try to help you with like what to bring. And, and one of the really cool things that's happened, this, we started this before COVID, but literally like two weeks before COVID, and it's just recently launched, and we are so totally thrilled and happy about it. But we have this very cool partnership now with Carrots Apparel, and they have taken our packing list and created an online virtual packing list. So, so for example, when folks are getting ready to go to Epona, we send them a link to our dressage packing list and they can look at all the, you know, all of the vented shirts and, you know, the breathable pants and all of the things that, that were originally just on a, a list. Now you can see the pictures, you can read the reviews and, you know, it's just, we are so thrilled about it because the quality of their stuff is just so great. And yeah, totally jazzed about it. So yeah, we do, you know, we send you a packing list tell you and the packing list is a little bit exhaustive but it's meant as a as a tool not as a like you have to have these things mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah so we you know we try to just be collaborative about stuff like that and and help you with tips tricks how to stretch your money so that your your travel budget goes further you know where to stay what neighborhoods are good what neighborhoods aren't if you're staying in a city you know, how to get around, should you rent a car, should you not, that kind of stuff. I'm going to throw a curveball question at you, but I'm kind of curious as to what sort of like oddball items you think are really nifty to travel with. So let's say, let's just say you can bring, you're going on an international riding trip and you can only bring, say, five things with you. What do you bring? Oh, five things. Well, no matter where I'm going, and, and even if it's in the dead of winter, my my mother used to always say, you should pack a bathing suit. And I would say, mom, we're going skiing in Vermont. And she would say, it takes up very little space in your suitcase and you just never know. And as much as it used to pain me to admit that my mother was right, she was right. Yep. I carry a bathing suit in every every time I travel, even if I think, there's no way I'm putting this thing on. And it has proved, it has proved useful time and time again. Um, the other thing, yeah, the, the other thing that I have always in, in a carry-on or in my, I, I don't carry a purse. I usually carry a, a computer sack, like a knapsack, but I always carry a flashlight, um, a small flashlight. And I, I know these days people go, well, I have a flashlight on my phone which you do, but sometimes you need to conserve the battery on your phone and right. having an actual flashlight <laughs> comes in handy because, because for example, here we are last week in Maine in this house and, and you know, it, everything is great except we lost power mm-hmm. and it's one thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, for about six hours and it's one thing to lose power like during the afternoon. Cause you're like, okay, let me go look around and see, but it was like seven o'clock at night. And, and I said, nope, I know exactly where my, where my bag is, you know, so I could get a flashlight to go look for candles. And, you know, I mean, who, who thought that, that that would ever happen? So, so yeah, um, I definitely always travel with that. I, um, I generally 
always travel with a pair of comfortable shoes. Now, some people say, well, no, I can wear my paddock boots. But I look at it and say, you know, if I'm walking on cobblestone streets and doing tours and things like that, I'm, I'm totally not, I'm, I'm all about, give me some, some comfy shoes, like something that is not, you know, and plus not something that I'm going to be wearing all the rest of the days anyway. Right. Um, what else? What else do I travel with can that I, I never leave? Can I just interject too that like I used to be a diehard Dewberry boot fan, um, you know, like the, like the river boots, like the Irish river boots. Yeah. And I love yeah. those things. I paid a fortune for them. I love them. I took them everywhere. I wore them all the time. And and like on trips, all sorts of vacations and everything with friends. And it wasn't until like very much after the fact that like my friends very nicely were like, you have to get rid of those boots because they stink and they cannot come they on. Stink. <laughs> I feel like relying on your trusty barn boots when you're traveling in the company of other people is just not a kind thing to do to others. <laughs> It's it's totally true. And I mean, it's funny because, because I have a pair as well and I tend to wear them. So in the, in, in, when I'm in the winter, when it's cold, that's generally what I'm wearing to ride in, even if I'm riding in the arena, because again, lower level dressage rider, I'm not really needing to put spurs on. We're not doing anything that requires that much queuing. And, you, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I have to take them off outside because my husband's like, because my feet get hot and they sweat even in the winter. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, those things freaking stink worse than the dog to so take them <laughs> off. And he, horse, horse smell doesn't bother him at all. Doesn't bother him at all. My boots, totally different story. <laughs> and it's the inside, not the outside. Oh, that's funny. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, um, I travel with a charger. And in fact, the charger that I have now the charging station, it's, it's a converter charging station all in one. And, and I love it. I got it on Amazon. It's a, it's a, a little bit of a brick. So it's about the size of, um, hmm. it's not big. It's probably like two inches square and it's, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a little bulky, but it's not as bulky as, as taking a whole uh, converter kit. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but what I love about it is it's got four ports on the bottom, four USB ports on the bottom. So I only need it. And then, you know, the cords for each of, each of my things, my laptop, my, my cell phone, my, um, I travel with a GoPro because I'm always filming stuff. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend traveling with a GoPro unless someone is familiar with how to use it because people get too preoccupied with is it on is it this is it that and then they're not paying attention to their riding but um but I travel with it generally all the time and I also travel with my camera an an actual camera Mm -hmm. Uh, cell phones have come a long way and they take really good quality pictures but there are times that and again I do this because of what I need for the business I need the videos I need good pictures because a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. And so I, I can't be taking a picture where the rider is like so small that you go, I can't even tell what that person's doing or what that when you zoom in and take it, you haven't been still enough. And now it's a blurry picture. I, I need, you know, I have to have that. So, yeah. And, and um, I also discovered a couple of years ago through a blog that I follow 
um, and it's it's a <clears throat> it's an interesting blog. It's called Horse and Man, and I don't know if other folks follow it or not, but it's it's just a general horse blog that this woman in California writes, and and I find her stuff to be really interesting. But she turned me on to this lip balm by a company called Raw R A W Raw. Mm. So it's all natural, and I, I mean I bought like twelve of them, and I have them in every single vest because I'm a huge vest person. Mm-hmm. Every single vest, every single barn coat, you know. I, I, and, and I'm big on, so I love that brand. It works really well. It doesn't get, it doesn't melt and it doesn't get, it also doesn't get um, clumpy, you know, like when sometimes when like chapstick for me sometimes gets too clumpy and I can't get it on my lips. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's in every single pocket. And I think, and I think just finishing out my, my last thought, I bought years ago a jacket to ride in. And it's by a company called Arista and they, um, Asmar makes, makes one as well. But what I love about this jacket is it comes down to about my knees. It's a rain jacket. Oh yeah. It's a stylish looking rain jacket. Yeah. Comes down to about my knees. It's vented in the back or I should say pleated in the back. So you snap it up when you're not riding, when you are riding, you unsnap it and it creates a skirt around the back of, you know, the back of your saddle. Mm-hmm. So that you're you're not getting wet. And what's cool about it is, I get more compliments on that jacket from non-horse people. Like I, because I wear it, it's my travel jacket, and mm-hmm. and people are like, that is such a beautiful jacket. And I'm like, yep, it's my barn coat. And they're like, it's your what? And I'm like, yep, it's for riding. But it's it's great. So, and it's lightweight, so it you know it wears well no matter what. Yeah. And yeah, I always carry a raincoat. Even if I'm going to the desert, I carry a raincoat because remember the girl that threw in a turtleneck because she was like, oh, it's June. I might get cold at night. Well, yeah, now I learned carry my raincoat everywhere. The light jacket. Raincoat and a swimsuit. <laughs> I Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have um, one, of, one of the jackets that you're referring to. And I joke that it's like my, I call it my Devon jacket because I, I yeah. bought dressage at Devon one year when it was, you know, classically just a torrential downpour the entire weekend. And I bought it just because I was desperate. I, I didn't really, I didn't really need another, I don't need more outerwear because I already have an outerwear obsession. <laughs> but but that weekend I was just desperate for something that was long and like kept me covered. And that thing has come in so handy. I've literally, I've worn it to football games. I've worn it to work functions. I've, uh, yeah, there, yeah. I, I am with you on that one. I years ago, about about six years ago, decided to have some half chaps custom made because I have a, a long leg from the knee to and to the calf, and my calves are quite small. I mean, my ankles are quite small, and so you know, and I wear zip up paddock boots, not not tie paddock boots, and so I had this problem where every pair of half chaps I would buy, and even the tread steps, even some of the really nice areas, I just like they either weren't tall enough, you know, for the inside of my, uh, you know, inside of my knee, or they stopped kind of at the top of my foot. And so the problem would be that like it would be raining on a trail ride or in a lesson because a lot of the dressage places have covered arenas, but sometimes, you know, it's still raining. The rain blows a little, but, um, and I just thought, you know what, this is stupid. People get custom boots made for the cheap ones for $700, $800. How much could it possibly cost to have custom chaps? And, and 
you can buy a pair of nice chaps off the shelf for 400 bucks. So, you know, like really nice ones. So I just thought, I'm going to do this. And so I said to the guy, this is what I want. I want it to come up really high, like tall dressage boots. That's how tall I want it. I want it to make me sore in the back until it's broken in, you know, at the back of my knee. Mm -hmm. And I want it to come down. I want it to flare out around the top of my foot over my boot fitted, but I want it to come way down so it covers the zipper. And so between that, that raincoat that I have and these custom half chaps, there is not a part of me that gets wet other than my hands right? Even though I have gloves on because the coat comes down to my knees. So if, so anything that's on my coat literally just runs right off, mm-hmm. you know, and, and anything that would hit my leg is running down the leather chaps, but it's not going inside my boot. It's, you know, so, but those are my personal preferences, you know, just what yeah. I do because I can. <laughs> well, you know, so this reminds me of a a time that I was like camping in the Everglades for a week and it wasn't a horse trip. Um, but I was like, I was a kid, I was in like middle school or like eighth grade or something. And of course I like completely ignored everything on the packing list. Right. And, um, <laughs> and that we were in, so we were in Florida, it was like February or something like that. And the packing list, it said like, bring a sweatshirt, bring a jacket. And I, you know, my wise 13 year old self was like, this is stupid. I'm not bringing a jacket to Florida. It's Florida. And you know, like <laughs> my mom, my mom was like, don't do that. You're going to regret that. And sure enough, like, you know what I remember from that trip? I don't, when I think of that trip, I don't think about like, oh, we, it was so cool. We could see the stars at night or we, we, canoed through the mangroves like like the thing that jumps into my brain first is how freaking cold and miserable I was that whole (laughs) and and after that I just realized I was like you know when it comes to travel not not that I'm I wouldn't pretend to be as well traveled as you are or anything but just in my experience like whatever you can do to prevent yourself from being cold and wet is very often that's right that's right it's right it's true I mean and and again, you have the same experience I did, which was your mom was right, you know, <laughs> but, but, but it is, I mean, comfort is, comfort is key. And so, you know, that's why, like, I look at these rides and I go, you're going to have an amazing time. It's going to be work. You're going to, you're going to be pushed to the limits. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a comfortable bed and a hot shower and good food and nice wine. And, you know, it, it like, you can't be miserable the entire time. <laughs> Right. Another packing question I have for you. Um, what do you recommend people do for helmets? Because I know, like, I know people care a lot about protective headgear. I know that fit is really important, but helmets are also hugely bulky and they take up so much room in a suitcase. So what do you typically advise people to do about that? It's a snap. It's such a snap. So great question. And and helmets are one of those tricky conversations, right? It's a bit like like politics and religion. And because some people wear them, some people don't. I'm glad to see that I personally, as an ambassador of the sport, I'm glad to see that more and more people are getting on the helmet, you know, wagon. Mm-hmm. We because on a lot of our trips and even the trail rides, like in France. Helmets are not compulsory. So you can or cannot wear a helmet. It's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. And I have my own opinion about that. But I mean, I never, and, and listen, I used to never wear a helmet, never. 
and, and have taken some nasty falls. And when I started working in the industry, I thought, you know what? You need to take a stand. You need to decide about this. And frankly, you need to be an ambassador for it because it's just, it's the responsible thing to do. And boy, have I been glad. So back to your question, because I got my helmet. Helmets are the easiest thing. Helmets and shoes, don't worry about it. You, you're going to pack your suitcase or however your bag is. I travel with a rolling bag. So I pack stuff in the bottom of my rolling bag, like my, my sit around tights and my tank tops that, you know, I just take for layers, my pajamas, those fill up the bottom. I take that helmet, I, I turn it upside down and put it in there. And then I start putting socks and underwear on the inside of my helmet. I'm a big layer person. So I take a lot of long sleeve shirts and short sleeve shirts that are light layers that I can, you know, mix and match. And I'll take those and roll them up and put them around my helmet. So basically, in the end, the only space that helmet is taking is the space of the frame of the helmet because there's stuff in and around it, and it's not, it, it's really taking up minimal space. Now, you, if someone says to me, well, geez, I really am not a sophisticated packer and I don't, that sounds like a lot of trouble or I can't be bothered or whatever, mm-hmm. I look at them and say, fine, strap it to your carry on bag. I've done that before as well. You know, I mean, like I haven't had room for some reason to put it in something. I just literally strap it to whatever bag is over my shoulder and it just hangs there like that, you know, and then you put it in the overhead bin. But those, those are my two recommendations for you, but they're super easy to pack around just like shoes, right? You know, like, like any sort of riding, tall riding boots, you know, use the space that you have. You pack smartly, you know, put your socks and your underwear down inside the uppers on those boots can, can you know, be flattened. It, that's not going to hurt them. You're not going to get a crease in them or anything like that. But, but the, the footbed is not, you know, it can't be flattened. So use the space. Use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good tip. I wish I, where were you five years ago when I was traveling to Dang. Georgia? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I got you back on the next one. I've got you back, gal. You're not, you, no problem. Deal. Well, okay. So is there any, I know we've covered a lot of stuff here. Is there anything that I haven't already asked you about that you would like to add? I think, you know, what I would say to people, so travel, travel right now is a completely, like some people have traveled and and some people haven't. And so they don't know what to expect. And, and, you know, travel has always been an adventure, like we said earlier, just in and of itself regardless of the actual trip, the, the, the event of traveling, so getting to an airport, getting on a plane, dealing with all of that, you know, and, and if you have to take public transportation in any way, you know, it's, it's just, if, if it can go wrong, it will. So I, I generally would just say to people, listen, there's a lot of things that, that are going to be different the next time you step out your front door to go on a trip, whether it's a road trip and you're just going to drive yourself and check into a hotel or whether it's it's a trip that requires airfare and, and plane travel. So do yourself a favor and do as I say, not as I do, but, um, but I'm learning myself. Do yourself a favor and leave yourself a bunch of extra time. If you think it's going to, if you think you need to get to the airport two hours ahead, get there three hours ahead. Mm-hmm. The, the worst that's going to happen to you is that you end up in the bar at the airport having a, a a cocktail while you wait for your plane. And that's not such a bad thing. That's the start of vacation. It sure beats, that beats getting to the airport without enough time and being 
in line at security trying to determine whether or not you'll be able to make it to the gate in time to get on the plane. So leave yourself additional time. The, the second thing, and these, this is really part of that as well, is just go with an open mind, have, have a smile, take a deep breath. Everybody is in the same boat. I mean, everybody has somewhere they want to be or they feel they need to be. And, and try to just have, try to just feel like, hey, I'm on an adventure and you really feel you need to cut in line in front of me. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just going to smile. I'm, it, let it roll off like a duck, you know, because you go on vacation to have a good time, not to be strung out and, and end up arriving, you know, with totally shattered nerves. Right. So just, just relax. Have a good time. Yeah. Smile. <laughs> that's a good lesson that could be applied to riding itself too i think yeah except except as riders it's the truth right but but as riders at some point you get to a point in in your riding journey where you can tell if your ride is salvageable or not and if today's the day that you need to just pack it in and pick it up again tomorrow you know what i mean like is it worth fighting about like you, you get to that point and and you it, it just it, it makes everything so much better. So the next day when you get, like you get off and you're not irritated and you're not, you know, like, you know, you're not frustrated about your ride or at your horse or at your ability to communicate or not communicate, you know, you, you get off and you're like, well, that didn't really go how I planned, but you know what, I'm going to come back tomorrow. And the next day it just like, it makes a huge difference. So I, I think the moment that you make that conscious decision to say, I'm not going to let this get to me. I'm, you know, I can control how I feel about this and I'm going to own it and I'm going to just not let it get to me. And I'm going to go find something else that makes me happy for the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know, I know that life lesson very well because I own two mares and they have taught me a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So girl power. <laughs> yeah. Girl, girl power is right. Um, so for our listeners who want to learn more about you and learn more about um, active riding trips, where can we direct them? So the website is super easy. It's ridingtrips.com with an S. So ridingtrips.com and all the trips are listed on the site and, and all of that good info is there. They can also follow us on Facebook. It's active riding trips, equestrian vacations on Facebook. So we, we, um, we use our Facebook site to really share information, sometimes about the trips, but more often than not, we're just talking about riding, we're talking about destinations in general, not necessarily horse related, and we're talking about travel tips. So the if they're really looking for info just specific to the trips, the website is really the best, the ridingtrips.com website. But if they want to sort of get into a general dialogue with us, and it's myself and two other people who manage the Facebook account, you know, then, then yeah, that's a wonderful place to sort of get tips, tricks, what we use, interesting destinations, fun places to see that are, you know, when you're in the non-riding portion of your trip, that kind of stuff. And we also have an Instagram account, which is, again, active riding trips, um, where we share pretty pictures and, and that is exclusively about the rides themselves. 
Uh, and people can also, I mean, if anybody, a lot of my clients like to do this. If, if anybody listening wants to do this, you're welcome to friend me on Facebook. It's no problem. But then you're going to get pictures of my dog and pictures of my horse and pictures of my husband and his kilt and pictures of like, you know, all the things that we do in our little local town. But, but the magic to me about this business is the fact that, that probably 200 people that are friends of mine on Facebook are people that I have met through the riding trips business. And what I love about that is I can see their kids. I can see their rides. I can see their horses at home. I, you know, we really have a chance to know each other. And, and so even though when we talk, it's a, just a voice over the phone, it's not that anymore because I can be like, oh my gosh, I saw that you, you know, I saw what your kids just did last week, that surprise birthday cake they made you. That was hilarious and so sweet. I mean, you know, it's just, it's fun. So they can, they can, they're welcome to friend me on Facebook if they like, but that, that's more personal than anything, anything else. Stacy, thank you so much for taking the time out today to uh, speak with me and share some of your cool experiences and your tips um, with our listeners. And um, I hope to eventually travel with you one day because it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> you bet, gal. I would welcome it. You know, the laughs that we had today, really, really fun, really makes it totally worthwhile. So that's how I travel. That's the kind of weeks I like to have when I'm traveling. So I think you'd be a, a really nice addition to any week. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. I appreciate it. And and hopefully, you know, I'll hear from someone about some amazing trip in Germany or someone will or get in touch about any of the other trips. But this has been great. I really appreciate it. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about Stacy Adams and Active Riding Trips, visit activeridingtrips.com. And don't forget to head over to dressagetoday.com to check out some of our previous articles on dreamy dressage vacations like trips to Epona in Spain and Montebello in Portugal. And while you're there, you can also find um, Stacy's product recommendations for um, the items that she thinks are key to bring with you on every trip. Uh, so be sure to check those out too. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. You can learn more from Dressage Today and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com. Or you can visit our new training video site, Dressage Today On Demand. To learn more, visit ondemand.dressagetoday.com. And for daily dressage training tips and advice, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Happy riding!